reading here in a moment from the 14th verse down through the 23rd verse. But before I do that, let me remind you of a few things. Over the last several weeks, we have looked at the parables and the teachings of Jesus to learn about, first and foremost, his kingdom, which is spiritual. It's not political or social. It's a spiritual rule and reign of the Lord in our hearts And that's why we pray your kingdom come. Everyone has ambitions, desires, and goals and dreams. And most people are, you know, striving to see those goals and dreams and aspirations come to pass. But the moment that we said yes to Jesus, we transferred our ownership of our own life over into his hands. And now it's your will be done, your kingdom come. And prior to Christ, I had a will and I was building a kingdom and and but it was all temporal. But thank God I I traded that which was temporal for that which is eternal. And now it's my heart's cry. I know it is yours also, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, not not Doug's way or or Stan's way or Mike's way or or Drew's way, but your way, your way is the best way. And and, you know, uh, we have to learn about his ways. And that's what kingdom living is all about. It's learning how to submit and allow his lordship to really penetrate every part of who we are, spirit, soul, and body, until we reflect his glory. And and that's going to be a work that, that is going to be ongoing for the rest of our lives. But it's declared in Scripture as a good work. So there's nothing to be concerned about. God's intention is for our good and not for our harm. And, and with that, uh, hopefully, we're more willing to submit and yield to him and to his ways and finding out about his kingdom. We also discussed the keys to the kingdom. And and this was uh, maybe an upset of the, of the apple cart for some people, a tilting of the head, a rethinking of what uh, this particular uh, portion of scripture was speaking about. But just to remind you that the keys to the kingdom are found in the principles of binding and loosing. Those are legal terms. Uh, in scripture and what it's communicating is what we permit God has to permit because he's a just God. And uh, if we want to bind ourselves as an example to the law, to keep the law, then we are bound to do all that is written in the law. But we can't do that because we are lawbreakers. And so it's impossible for us to bind ourselves to the law and believe that we're going to find righteousness before God. That's self-righteousness, and that is not acceptable before God. So what do we do? We loose ourselves from the law, and we bind ourselves to Jesus. And in binding ourselves to Jesus, we find grace and truth and mercy to help us, and we find his righteousness imparted to us, which is acceptable, which causes us to be acceptable before God. So self-righteousness is not the path of which God calls us to walk on, but his righteousness that he gives us as we submit to Christ. So we are binding ourselves to that which is eternal when we say yes to Jesus. Then looking at Jesus' parables and all that they teach us, we learn what God's kingdom is like. And there's stories that Jesus told so that we would know the truth about love, about faith, about grace, forgiveness, justice, authority, equity, mercy, reconciliation, hope, resurrection. All of these truths are told 
in the form of a parable. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is likened unto. And then he used a story to teach about mercy or grace or hope or faith or righteousness or equity. All of the things that matter in the kingdom were told in story form. And if we ask Jesus, can you explain to us the parables? He takes time to explain them because we have ears to hear what he has to say. For those that aren't interested, then they walk away and say, the man speaks in riddles. We don't understand what he's saying. Therefore, we're not interested. But for those that desire and hunger and thirst for the truth, they have another meeting after the meeting with Jesus. So Jesus has a meeting, and then those that want to know more about what he just talked about stick around for the next meeting. And I believe I'm in the company of a lot of people that ask Jesus, could you explain your word to me? Could you help me understand your ways? Could you strengthen me so that I could submit to your lordship? And if if I'm in that kind of company, can I get a hearty amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, this morning, we're going to turn the page and we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul had to write in in, uh, his letter to the church about the kingdom of God and uh, some very important truths that we're going to discover as we look into God's word this morning. So I've entitled today's message, The Kingdom of God Is. So this is absolutes. So he's going to talk in very plain and practical language. And it's we're going to see application for the truths that he is communicating to the church. So let's begin in the 14th verse. He says, I know... And am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. The emphatic statement, I know and am convinced, is the the result of a process of becoming more Christ-like. So when Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a legalist. He was he was something that, uh, you know, he dotted every I. He crossed every T. He, he was after perfection, but in his own strength. But once he came to know Christ and the Lordship of Christ, and he became convinced of something brand new, At one time, he was convinced that being a Pharisee was the only way, and the Pharisaical life was the most righteous life. But then when he encountered Jesus, he discovered that he was somewhat misguided in his thinking. And he said, therefore, I've come and I've come to know by the Lord Jesus that within itself, there's nothing, absolutely nothing unclean of itself. Now, he's going to explain what unclean means here in an illustration here in a moment. But uh, we also understand this word because it's used many, many times in Scripture. Uh, when someone is unclean, it means they're defiled, they're contaminated, and uh, there's something wrong with them. And uh, they're not allowed to participate in, in things within the, the culture or society. Uh, they're limited to where they can and cannot worship, uh, and so they live a very, very restricted life, and uh, they're 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 looked down upon, they're devalued by other people. And he said that 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 really nothing is unclean. And and the Lord, in His graciousness, declared 
because of the work of Jesus, that anyone who has ever felt defiled or devalued or less than can be cleansed by the blood of the lamb. And whatever God cleanses is cleansed and it's not unclean anymore. And, and you may feel like you're not worthy or the past life that you live, that there's no way that you could be accepted before God. But God is saying that through the work of Christ, let everybody know that that uncleanness has been dealt with. And a person can be cleansed from all sin and unrighteousness. But the way that, that people categorized unclean people is, is in many different categories. It could be a physical illness, like the woman with the issue of blood. She had to declare, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. When she walked out of her, her home uh, and, and entered into society, whether it was to go to the marketplace or to go see her doctor, which she did often and never got help, but, but she had to travel the common road. She had to declare to everyone around her, don't get too close to me because I will defile you. I will contaminate you. I am an unclean part of society. And and so it, it could be a physical ailment. For some people, they ostracized and looked at other people because they, they uh, ate and drank things that were sacrificed to idols. And so they believed that if you ate or drank anything that was sacrificed to an idol in the Jewish culture that you were unclean and you were contaminated, you had become defiled. And so it could be because of a disease. It could be because of something that you that you ate or drank. But Paul said, no matter what it is, I'm convinced through the Lord Jesus that all of these stereotypes and all these stigmas and all of these issues have been dealt with and have been addressed. And he goes on and he tells us, yet... Or perhaps if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love, walking in love, walking in love. Do not destroy, do not cause destruction with your food, the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, because of this, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. We're going to elaborate on what he's using as an illustration here in a minute. But here he gives the key to what I'm just communicating to you now through the scripture. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not what defiles you. It's not what contaminates you. It's not what, you know, it causes you to be ostracized from God. But the kingdom of God is really about righteousness and peace and joy. And here's the key in the Holy Spirit, not through the law, but through the Holy Spirit, not in your ability, but through the ability and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As a reminder, today is Pentecost Sunday. Can I get a witness? And on the day of Pentecost, people moved out of old wineskin, partook of new wine and came into the new birth and into the kingdom of God. Can I get a witness? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in a new tongue. Another tongue as the Spirit of God gave them utterance, a brand new way of living. And, and it no longer bound by the law, no longer restricted, but now entering into the freedom for whom the Son is set free is free indeed. And now they're loosed and now they're free to serve the Lord 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can do what's right, that we can promote peace, and that we can produce joy. And and uh, that's that's really the heart of the message that we'll dive into. Verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. It, isn't that the goal of Christianity? I, I want to do things that are acceptable before God. And in, and by some means, may men approve that God is at work within me. Therefore, let us pursue, let us go after, let us run, let us strive towards or press into the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify others. Do not destroy. He, this is a second admonition. Don't do anything destructive. Don't cause any harm to another person. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. He's using food once again in an illustrative manner. You'll understand more here in a minute. Because some of you are wondering, what's this issue with food? It's a big deal with the Jews. It was big. It was, it was really big. They didn't eat anything that wasn't written in the letter of the law. To do so was a great risk for them. Not only for conscience sake, but for community's sake. They could be kicked out of their community. And for conscience sake, it could cause them to stumble and cause others to stumble. And they didn't want to do that. So do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Let's land here for a minute. Verse 21. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything, anything, absolutely anything by which what your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. We don't want to enter into that latter category of causing our brother believer, right? A fellow believer to stumble, to be offended or to be weak. We, we don't want them to look at our life and us to be a hurdle that they have to get over because of the way that we conducted ourselves, the way that we behaved. Verse 22, do you have faith? And the answer is, if you know Christ, you do have faith. Yes, I have faith. Then he gives this instruction. Have it to yourself before God. In other words, your faith is towards God. Your faith is first and foremost God-centered. Happy or blessed is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Is sin. In today's passage, Paul is teaching, admonishing, instructing the church to be concerned with building up brothers and sisters in Christ and laying aside our own personal preference and to let God's love govern our lives is the subject matter that he is addressing here. And he is convinced of the Lord that this subject matter is very important for them because they believed that through their keeping of the law, their conduct, their not partaking of certain foods or drinks, 
that they would find entrance or access into the kingdom of God. And, and Paul's saying it's not about what you eat, it's not about what you drink, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy that the Holy Spirit brings into your life. But there's others that you can cause to stumble who are struggling with eating and drinking, and because it's causing them to stumble, you should not partake in it because you're not walking in love at that moment, and love is the law of the kingdom. It governs all other attitudes and actions. Whether you believe it's right or not, you have to measure it. What does love teach me to do? Love teaches me to prefer someone else over myself. To put myself secondary. So if I'm causing anyone to be offended, anyone to stumble, anyone to fall away from the faith, then I should judge that in my life and put it aside because that's not producing the fruit of the kingdom or the way of the kingdom or what the kingdom is, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. So he's asking us to do some evaluation here and some self-examination, which we can do. He is using what we eat or what we drink Simply as an example, one of multitudes of examples that he could have chosen. But it was common for the culture at that time. And so he used what was most common. For us, it requires a little bit more instruction because we don't get it. We believe that we can just eat and drink anything and just bless it in the name of Jesus, cast out calories and, you know, and do all of that stuff. And none of these things will harm us or hurt us. And and I, I could, you know, eat whatever I want, whenever I want, how much that I want. And and it's not going to cause a problem for anyone. But then again, it could. Because gluttony is not something that is becoming of a Christian, is it? Anything that is excessive leads to error. So eat, but don't eat too much. Yes, and what you do eat, sanctify and bless and thank the Lord for But realize that your lifestyle does send a message. And if you call Christ the Lord of your life and you want his kingdom to be a part of the rule and reign in your life, then we have to pursue and seek first the kingdom, which is righteousness, his righteousness, his way of living, his way of doing things. And we have to put aside our own personal preferences appetites or belief if it's causing someone else to stumble for the purposes of Christ alone. So if what we eat or what we drink makes someone else to struggle in their faith or causes them to sin, then we should gladly not eat or drink that item. So there's three truths The first three I want to remind you of that I've already stated several times is God's kingdom is first and foremost righteousness, then peace, then joy. Then I I find this order to be very important for us to pay attention to, because if we do what's right before God, then we have peace with our own conscience and we have joy. But if we're not doing what's right before God and we're trying to justify what we're doing, like it's not a sin to me, therefore it's not a sin, then we're misunderstanding the love of God. We're misunderstanding what we were brought out of and what we were brought into 
because of Jesus. And we're still trying to spin the story between our own ears that it's okay for me to do this because it doesn't bother me. But still, I believe it does. The very fact that someone has to defend what they're doing all the time or justify what they're doing all the time communicates to me they don't have peace about it. If you have and I have to always tell everyone why it's okay for us to do what we do and why it's no big deal, then we're already conflicted and we're lacking peace. Because when you have peace, it's like you got it. You got it. There's no explanation. There's no self-justification. I'm just at peace. And the joy that comes strengthens us to keep doing what's right. It's, it's not what we're giving up. It's what we've gained that allows us to do anything for God. What have you gained when you gained Jesus? You gained life and life eternal. And when did that start? The moment you said yes to Jesus. So the source of your strength is not yourself, but Christ himself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The love of God compels us to do what's right. These are the paths of the kingdom. This is how the Holy Spirit navigates us in day in and day out practical living is not to do anything that would be a stumbling block to anyone or cause them to fall. So the key to these truths about the kingdom is all recognized, of course, through the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's three actions that we are instructed to follow. Three things that are really firmly communicated in this portion of Scripture. Number one, we should not cause others to stumble or fall into a pit because of our personal preferences or appetites. We just shouldn't do it. Rather, number two, we should be building others up, considering them above ourselves. And this occurs, number three, as we put our faith into practice. So let's talk about this in light of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So doing what is right before God, doing what is right before God, what is that? It, well, it's not the keeping of the law. What's doing right before God is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and to serve Him. That's what's doing right before God. What does God require? What is God's requirement of us but to believe? To believe that Jesus is our righteousness, not the law, not the keeping of the law. What is right before God? What is right before God is to believe, to have faith, to trust in God. That is all of man's duty, to believe, to trust, to rely on God. That produces righteousness. Not our good works, but our belief in his completed work. Amen. And his work was completed. Righteousness is choosing God's way of living and being above our own way. So that's why we continue to gather. That's why we study our Bibles. That's why we listen to encouraging messages, because we need to learn God's ways in order to walk in them. We need to understand God's will in order for it to be a part of our lives. And we need to hear things that are taught accurately in the word of God. And so good teaching 
is a big part of what helps us to understand righteousness. So I'll illustrate righteousness from uh, this perspective. When Charlene was born, she was born a girl with all of the identifiable markings of a girl. She was 100% girl. Correct? Right. She couldn't become any more girl than what she was the moment she was born. She was born a girl. She is a girl. But what she can do is grow as a girl. When you were born again, you were born again righteous. You can't get any more righteous than what you were the moment you were born again. But you can grow in your knowledge of righteousness. What is right before God? And this is what Paul is saying. At one time, you believed it was okay for you to do this or eat this or behave in this kind of lifestyle. But now, since you've known the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to be persuaded and convinced that is not the way. Did you become more righteous because you started doing things differently? No, you grew in your righteousness. You bore fruit of your righteousness, but you can't be any more righteous before God than the moment you were born again. Bam, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Any more than Charlene could become a, anything other than a girl when she was born. So righteousness is a standing we have before God. It's a gift that God gave us. The gift of righteousness came to us through Jesus Christ. Well, that means what happened to all that unrighteousness? Scripture said old things have passed away. All things have become new to any man who's in Christ. So all that unrighteousness that was put to your account has been wiped away and the ledger is clean and you stand acceptable before God. Now we have to learn about this. We have to let this penetrate our heart and our mind. But it's the truth. Number two, pursuing things that promote God's peace. Pursuing things that promote God's peace. God is not the author of confusion. God is very clear about his commandments. And they're not suggestions, they're still commandments. So he's very clear. It's not hard to understand them. What we have to do is accept, believe them, and implement them into our life by faith. And that's the process of maturing or growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, and that is done with the person in the help of the Holy Spirit. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Now, let's qualify that, because that's a statement Jesus made. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. It doesn't mean you can't brush your teeth without Jesus. You brush your teeth before and after you've known Jesus, hopefully. Right? doesn't mean you can't drive a car without Jesus, Some of you were driving a car before you knew Jesus. So what he's saying there is, you can do nothing apart from me. You can't 
change one aspect of the sin nature and what it's produced in you apart from me. But through me, the sin nature has been dealt with and you don't have to deal with it anymore. My righteousness already dealt with it and my peace has been provided for you. And you don't have to try to earn or merit peace with me. I give you my peace. That's the kingdom of God. I'll give you my peace. Wow. This peace that passes understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is... The kingdom. This is the way the kingdom wants to work within us because it is spiritual. It's not social or political. You cannot change the human spirit through legislation or through education. It can only be changed by the Holy Spirit. You can legislate all you want to, and it doesn't make Jesus Lord of someone's life or their morals don't make them right before God. What they abstain from doesn't make them acceptable before God. Only Christ and Christ alone can cleanse. Amen. That's why we pray for those that are in authority because all men need prayer because men are men and they need prayer. So we promote and we pursue the things that allow peace to be prevalent, not confusion. We don't want to send a conflicting message to people. We don't want to send a conflicting message to people. So if what you eat or what you drink sends a conflicting message as a Christian, then I want you to judge that righteously in your own life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And even though you can say it's no big deal to me, I'm going to remind you if we're listening to what the Word of God is teaching There should come a a place in our maturity. It should matter to us because love is the law that makes everything work. It what causes our faith to work. It's what causes us to keep other people from stumbling. It's what pulls us back to Christ when we do stumble. It's what pulls us back to our Savior when we cause others to stumble. Is because we know love not only cleanses and covers a multitude of sin, it shines the light of Jesus through us in a beautiful way. So these are things that we need to really consider. What we do, is it a stumbling block? That the the second piece of that instruction in Romans 14, or is it causing, are you digging a pit? He uses the word pit. Is it a pitfall? And we're not talking about pit stop as far as, you know, for the racing fans. We're talking about an actual pit that was dug and we were the ones digging it through our attitudes and actions and lifestyles. We kept digging and digging and digging and digging. And then someone came along and fell into that pit that we dug. He said, don't destroy twice. He said, don't destroy another person's faith because of your personal preferences. And that's what they are. They're personal preferences. You can't find them in Scripture. You can't justify them in Scripture. They're personal preferences, and most of them are born out of an appetite for the flesh. It's what my flesh likes. It's what my flesh needs. It's what my flesh desires. It's what, and the flesh and the spirit are contrary one to another. So if we're going to be governed by God, we're going to have to allow the Spirit of God to govern us from the inside out. 
We can't have a, well, that's their problem attitude. No, we're the one that created the stumbling, the pit. We're the one that's destroying someone's faith, whether they're weak in faith or strong in faith. It doesn't matter. You're destroying someone. And we need to stop it. And I I have done and said things that have been destructive. But thank God for cleansing. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for mercy. I'm in that category, I believe, with a whole bunch of others who are partakers of his mercy. God is not asking us to do this apart from him, but through him we can. And that our attitude, number three, our attitudes and our actions bring joy to others and therefore strengthen them. I'll give you an example. I have a, I have a good friend, a uh, high school friend, Kelly. Kelly Latimer was uh, one, of, one of our best football players. He got opportunities to play at the University of Oklahoma. And, and back in the day, the, the Boomer Schooner was, was a pretty big deal. And uh, Kelly, Kelly was six foot one, two, 230 pounds, 19-inch arms, and could bench press the weight room. And he was just a big guy. And, uh, and Kelly had uh, a fetish for sugar. And the way that I discovered this was one day I went over to pick him up for work. We both worked at the, at the same place, Detroit or Mobile Home. It was a summer job, and we worked on the line, and, and uh, he worked on, on fronts and backs, and I worked on siding. And so our, our workstations were pretty close to each other. So I, I'd go pick him up at 6 a.m. in the morning because we had to be at work and clocked in by 6.30 and at our station by 7 o'clock. So we, uh, I go there, knock on the door, and this particular morning he wasn't quite ready. And so uh, his mom comes to the door and she said, come on in, Kelly's eating breakfast. And I, I sit down to eat breakfast with him. And, and here's this really, I mean, physical specimen. And, and this is what he's having for, for breakfast. He's, he's got a, a, a four or six lo, uh, uh, slices of cinnamon toast. And then he's got chocolate milk. He's got a Snickers bar, and then in front of him is a bowl of frosted flakes, and he puts sugar on it. They're already frosted. He puts sugar on it. And so what I ask him, tongue-in-cheek, it's a little after 6 in the morning. My sarcasm gets going pretty early, is I said, do you want any sugar with your cereal? He puts down his spoon. I'm all of 5'10", 170 pounds. I don't bench press the weight room. I don't have 19-inch legs, let alone arms. He leans into me. And he said, whatever floats my boat. (laughs) At that moment, I let his boat float. Years later go by. We're both Christians, young in the faith. There's a lady in the church. She has diabetes. Kelly wants to take her out to lunch. For her behalf, he doesn't do anything that's sugar-related. He grew 
He started doing what was right, not just for himself. At six in the morning, that sugar probably got him going till at least eight o'clock and then bam, he crashed. And then who knows what happened after that. This is the practical application of it. Yeah, it could have been right for him in his own home. I mean, whatever floats his boat, eat all the sugar you want. It's not my liver. Of course, I'm not going to say that because this would ensue. <laughs> but when it came to others, he understood. All right, Prefer them, love them. Don't do anything that would hinder their faith. Don't do anything that would be a stumbling block to them. That's what's right. He had peace and joy. And this is what it produced because this is our last point is it, it caused that other individual to be strengthened. That's the fruit of joy. The fruit of joy is when you strengthen someone. That's the evidence that you were a joy giver in their life and not a joy killer. You could have done it. But for conscience sake and for Christ's sake, you chose the way of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is doing what's right before God and man. It is promoting peace and pursuing peace in every situation. It is, at the end, causing someone to be thankful that you were in their life because you added to their life you didn't take away. You weren't a Pharisee. You weren't a legalist. You were a life giver. That's the kingdom of God. When they left your presence, they were strengthened. And they saw love. And they felt love. And therefore, they felt Jesus and saw Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.